Go to Health, your guide to fitness and well-being for 2018 with Francis Cook. Hi, I'm Francis Cook. Welcome to the show. We all know the pain of trying to get accurate health information online. A quick Google can mean a headache is diagnosed as a brain aneurysm, or an aching hip becomes bone cancer. But one area that seems to get more than its fair share of misinformation is pregnancy. How long you should try to get pregnant the regular way before calling in the professionals. How much modern medicine can help you out. And most importantly, at what age will your ovaries wither and turn to dust? There's so much pressure around having babies, often directed at telling women to hurry up and get on with it before they're over the hill. The last thing I want to do is add to that pressure. Ladies, we have enough on our plates. But I do still want to find out what's fact and what's fiction, so that we're at least making an informed choice. So in the interest of calming down the discussion and bringing some facts back into it, let's bring in the experts working at the cutting edge. I want to know, how late can you leave it to get pregnant? Go to health. Your guide to fitness and well-being for 2018 with Francis Cook. I'm joined now by Guy Goodax, Medical Director of Fertility Clinic, Repromed. Now, I have to say there's so much misinformation and scaremongering around pregnancy sometimes that it can all be quite daunting. And one of the things that I see coming up over and over again is this contest over how old might be too old to start trying for a family. So what does the latest research tell us about what sort of age window the average modern woman has to try and get pregnant without any extra help? Well, I think you're right. It um, is important to point out first that having the right information um, is absolutely crucial. And I think it's also about planning. Mm. And I think it's really sensible for teenagers and women in their early 20s to just think about their reproductive um, plans and it doesn't mean you need to race out and you know have a baby before you're 30, but just be aware of the effective age on, on egg numbers. So what we know, and we've known for quite a few years, is that in fact your egg reserve is something that you're born with. Um, it slowly declines as you get older, and that process probably speeds up around the age of 35. But in fact, of when your eggs are best, it's between the ages of 18 and 28. That doesn't, again, mean that you have to rush out and have a baby amongst that um, age group. But if you want two or three children, for instance, um, that's probably going to take you five, six years if you have a, a gap of a year or two between each child. And so research has shown that if you want a good chance of having three children, you probably should start by about 26, 27. Things are made a bit easier for us these days because we've got a very accurate blood test called an anti-malarian hormone measurement or AMH measurement. And we can do that from the age of 25, 26, 27 to get an indication of where an individual person sits um, for their age. Are they average? Um, do they have an above average number of eggs? Or in fact, do they need to be a bit concerned? And things are pointing towards them having some problems probably by the time they're in their early 30s or 35. So to put that into perspective, I would think about 10% of women I see around the age of 30 have got a fairly significant um, low ovarian reserve. <clears throat> doesn't mean they can't have a baby, but it means that the next couple of years are pretty crucial for them. And if you go out to 35, and don't forget the average age of people that we see is about 36, 37, 
Um, at 35, it's probably about 20% of women that are in fairly serious trouble in terms of low ovarian reserve. Um, so those are kind of the figures to bear in mind. I guess we have to be careful because we're biased. We see people who are having trouble getting pregnant or who are worried about getting pregnant. And we all know someone who's you know come off the pill at 39 or 40 and got pregnant straight away and then had two or three kids in their 40s. And, and that certainly happens. But I think the point is that you can't make those assumptions that your fertility and your reserve will be okay. Yeah, if someone is in that sort of later 30s window, do we have any knowledge about what the odds are of successfully getting pregnant on your own at that stage? Yeah, we do. And so clearly your greatest chance is in the first 12 months. Um, at the age of 35 to 40, your monthly chance is probably in the order of 10%. And you need to benchmark that against probably a 20% chance when you're in your early 20s. So that shows you the difference um, that egg, um, count and egg quality can make. And so we, the term that we use is fecundity, which is the monthly chance of getting pregnant. And so we know that at the age of 40, for instance, it's perfectly normal to take up to a year to get pregnant. Whereas I think if you were 22 or 23 years old, you'd be surprised if you weren't pregnant after four to six months. Okay, so here's the thing. If, if life hasn't gone to plan and maybe you have health problems that make it difficult for you to get pregnant or maybe you only found the right partner to have children with when you were older, how soon should you go to a doctor, particularly people in those sorts of situations, if you suspect something is off or you think you're going to have trouble? Um, so if age is a concern, so late 30s, 40, um, I think six months at the most. And so I'm actually seeing some people have only been trying for two or three months at 40, but they want to make sure the sperm count's okay. They want to make sure that they're ovulating so that they don't waste any time at all. Um, so when I was at medical school 30 years ago, the World Health Organization definition of subfertility was two years of unprotected intercourse and not getting pregnant. And then it came back to one year. And we would now qualify that, that six months is the right time to seek help if you think there's a problem. Um, if you know there's a problem, maybe from something in the previous history, say say the bloke had um, a hernia operation or a twisted testicle when he was young. Um, if the woman knows that she's had a, a ruptured appendix or previous diagnosis of endometriosis, um, I mean, I think in this day and age, if a person's worried, that's enough reason to go and get some some simple early advice. And I think what's really interesting as well is the leaps we're seeing in technology all the time. I mean, this is the reason I'm talking to you. Your clinic was the first in New Zealand to use this next generation genetic screening to help women get pregnant using IVF, and it actually improved the chances of successful pregnancy by 25%, which is amazing. So how is technology changing things for people who might have found it quite difficult to have kids in the past? Um, so I guess IVF, which is mixing eggs and sperm together in the laboratory, is the one that gets the most publicity because it's, it's kind of the highest profile. There are steps prior to that that we often use um, that are lower technology, and there's certainly also been some advances in that. And, the, and the, the, I guess the most obvious one is a treatment for a common condition called polycystic ovary syndrome where um, women don't necessarily ovulate regularly. And we've got a new drug that we've used for two or three years called letrozole, which um, is a bit like the old-fashioned clomiphene in that 
that you take it when you've got your period. But better success rates and much lower chance of twins, which was one of the problems with clomiphene. And there's also a treatment for unexplained infertility where, although it's not new, it's been used for about 10 years at least, there's been a couple of big overseas papers um, showing real benefit uh, for couples with unexplained infertility or endometriosis, and that's lipidol tubal flushing. So that's a, an oil extracted from poppy seed. Again, a simple, fairly low-tech thing that some people want to try because they really want to avoid the higher-tech things if they can. And again, um, a study that we took part in at Repromed a couple of years ago has had some publicity earlier this year um, called the TUI study, and that was to do with intrauterine insemination, which is putting the sperm into the womb at the time of ovulation. Um, so those are all things where there have been some, um, you know, new new information available and um, improved chance of getting pregnant. But you're right, IVF has certainly seen some advances in the last um, few years. And the future of IVF in part is around um, picking the best embryo that has the uh, best chance of implanting and, and is the most healthy. And we're confident that this genetic testing that we can um, now do to a high level of certainty um, gives us gives us some extra opportunities. So in IVF, what we're typically trying to achieve is what's called a day five embryo or a blastocyst. And not everyone gets a blastocyst because sometimes the eggs aren't good enough or the sperm's not good enough. Um, but that's what we're trying to achieve. And we can now biopsy by taking a tiny bit of tissue from the outside of the embryo um, uh, and and run that biopsy through what we call next generation sequencing, and that allows allows us the information of has that embryo got a normal chromosome complement. So, it's testing for Down syndrome and um, and other chromosome abnormalities like that. And you're right, the technology is very close, probably only a year or two, where we can go one step further than chromosome testing. Um, and start to look at um, is the embryo carrying a, um, you know an important gene um, that may lead to a, you know disease later in life. So I guess that's the next step in a couple of years. And there are ethical issues that come with that, of course, um, in terms of um, you know selection of what are essentially you know normal embryos. Um, not able to use it in New Zealand legally for um, choosing a boy or a girl um, unless it's for a genetically um, you know, ex-linked conditions. So um, family balancing isn't legal in New Zealand under the current legislation. Yes, and I guess as all of these things progress, the science progresses, the technology progresses, we're going to keep bumping into those sorts of issues, really, aren't we? Well, we absolutely are. And one of the big developments in the next couple of years will be identifying more and more genes um, for cancer risk, for instance, and, yeah, I mean, it's it's problematic if you um, had your, you know, your genome um, tested as an embryo and, and then as a young person um, that information's available. So will insurance companies, for instance, um, want to have it disclosed if that information's known about, you know, you're at increased risk of this or that. So it is a potential minefield. Um, but on the other hand, what... what particularly this, this new NGS technology is allowing us to do, is to probably say to people that um, at the very least it's probably going to help them get pregnant sooner. And we're very confident from the recent studies that the chance of having a miscarriage is a lot less because about three-quarters of miscarriages are um, from a genetically unbalanced embryo. 
And so although we won't completely get rid of um, miscarriage, we will probably reduce it by at least a half. And that's incredibly important um, when you think of the struggle that, that people go through to get pregnant through IVF um, and then to face the normal you know, chance of about 20% of having a miscarriage is absolutely devastating. And also having multiple replacement of embryos, some of which, even though they look good, um, probably have a very, very small chance of working. And so the technology now gives us that information to pick ones that have a pretty reasonable chance of working. Um, so not a guarantee of pregnancy, but um, can hopefully avoid some, some people having to have multiple attempts before they get success. That's amazing stuff. All right, we're, we're pretty much out of time, but I mean, just quickly, what are some of the limits of technology at this point? I mean, is there ever a stage where someone comes to see you and you say, look, I'm just... I'm really sorry, I don't know if there's anything I can do. Yeah, there are, definitely. So we know that currently a woman using her own eggs after the age of about 45 um, has an incredibly low chance of resulting in pregnancy. There is research and, and in fact, some practical implications overseas now of things like mitochondrial transfer to try and, if you like, replace partially replace the batteries of an egg. But we don't yet know how that's going to develop, but... There's some really interesting research um, going on overseas about growing eggs from the stem cells of ovaries, and and that may be that possibly may be a glimmer of hope for older women um, whose whose egg quality has declined severely. And of course, we can't help um, using their own womb. Um, some people with certain medical conditions, and so surrogacy is the obvious solution for that. We can create an embryo using an egg and sperm from the couple and they're the embryos put into um, into a surrogate to carry the pregnancy. Um, so, yeah, there are certainly some limits. We can help most sperm problems now, um, but not absolutely everyone. So there's still also some future um, developments, I think, in, in um, um, being able to use stem cells from men to, to achieve a pregnancy. It's such an interesting field. I mean, there's just so much changing all the time. I can barely keep up. Thank you very much for coming in and talking us through all of this. That's Guy Goodex, the medical director of Repromed. If you have any questions about this podcast or something you want me to investigate in the future, come and talk to me about it. You can find me on Facebook at Francis Cook Journalist and Twitter at Francis Cook. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or iHeartRadio to find out all sorts of weird and wonderful things about your health each week. And until next time, have a great day. Go to Health, your guide to fitness and well-being for 2018 with Francis Cook.